0: And circle up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we are in Dublin, Ireland for the first time with a longtime hasher. Welcome today on the podcast, Polly. Welcome. Thank you. Where and when and how did you start hashing?
1: I started hashing in 1982 in a place called Kuala Belite on Brun- in Brunei. How'd you find out about that hash? It all started when a, a friend of mine was killed in a rugby game. Wow. Had an accident and died a week later. So at the funeral, I didn't realize he hashed, but at the, the funeral in Hong Kong, a lot of people from Little Taiwan hash turned up. And so that's the first I got to meet the hash and that was in 1981 but then I transferred to Brunei almost a month later so I went looking for the hash in Brunei. Do
0: you remember what it was like on that first trail how many people were there what
1: the what it was like? The Brunei like hash was a very healthy hash. It used to turn up with could be as many as 50 people every week. In fact, I got pulled from the beach. I'm not a runner, so I was actually training on the beach to go for the hash. One of the hash saw me and said, what the fuck are you doing? That was my first down-down for training for the hash.
0: What was it like in terms of circle singing? What was the customs of that hash?
1: Well, the customs were fairly quiet. I mean, we were not a quiet hash, but our customs were fairly straightforward and repetitive. Since then, I've been to a lot of other hashes where they sing lots of different songs. We only had one hash song, and we sung that at every down-down. But we were a very strong hash. We were very, very committed. You know, just to give you an idea, we were hashing at the fringes of the jungle. Mm -hmm. And it would be about a thousand miles, give or take a few hundred, uh, south from the road we used to hash from. And you might just hit another civilization. We just had the coastal road and one road inland for a little bit. That was really where all our runs were, and we had the sea to one side and the jungle to the other.
0: Were there hash names
1: on that? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Everybody had a... Well, I say everybody, but Everybody who ran a few runs had a hash lake.
0: Do you remember any of the names of the people who were there at the beginning?
1: God, you're, you're teasing me now. I hadn't uh, prepared for this. I'd have to... Actually, I could look it up. Just give me a second. Because I have a famous edition of a newspaper here. Uh, we actually produced, for special occasions, a newspaper mm-hmm. called The Borneo Bullshit. <laughs> I've actually copied it as, bu- as best I can to be, to be, so that's actually on the Hash House archives. Uh-huh. We had, I look at the articles here, Teddy Bear Brinsden, for instance. He was the editor of the Borneo Bulletin and therefore the author of the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Peter Split Arse Jenkins. And here's a whole host of them. Martin Wedge Lee, Alan Chegu Hudson, Glenn Town Flyer Bryce. Jerry the Bishop Dunn, Wilmar Blitzkrieg Bleak, who's still running but running up now. I think in Assenhash in Holland. Dave Lotus Blossom Plum, Dan Leprechaun Barry, etc. etc. Nice. Everybody had hash names, and we had the famous one, which was Shitlegs, and even his wife called him Shitlegs. <laughs> Actually, when he came to leave, nobody could remember. His real name, which I see is Steve Lang, but nobody ever called him Stu, uh, Steve Lang. He was always Shit Legs, and he got that from falling off a longhouse platform into the shit below when he was drunk.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, who was in charge of the circle? Do you have a GM? Was there an RA position who ran the circle?
1: Oh, yes. There was RAs, GMs, and, and, and all of the rest. Very early on, one of the positions I wanted to have because I just always enjoyed playing the bugle, was hash horn. Mm-hmm. So I was hash horn very soon after that because nobody else could play it.
0: And did you take any other mismanagement after that?
1: Oh, I think I was every position on the committee eventually. Well.
0: And how long did you hash there? How long did you stay there till
1: you moved? I, I thought I hashed there a long time. But in retrospect, it wasn't very, very long. It was only six years. It was very intensive because I hashed there. I hashed on three hashes every week, which was quality men's hash, quality mixed hash, and then the hetero hash in Banderseri-Bagawan, which was the capital.
0: In six years, that could have been certainly well over 500. Closer to a
1: 1,000 hashes. Well, yes, with away weekends and other trips, yeah.
0: What's the story of your hashtag?
1: Oh, I got named at the 150th run, which means I started on the, my first run was the 148th run. We had hired, not hired so much as we were using the army swimming pool. Mm -hmm. And anybody who just joined was taken up the diving board, had beer put on their head and then thrown off the top diving board into the swimming pool and supposedly named either with the beer on his head or on the way down to the water. (laughs) And for me, I had been thrown off the diving board twice and somebody said, we don't even know this fucker. And it was just as well, I wasn't called fucker, but uh, (laughs) somebody there, this guy, Wedge Lee, turned around and said, what's his name? They said, Richard Hadfield. And he said, oh, I went to Hatfield Poly. (laughs) So there you are. That's yeah. the origin of the name. Which
0: of the hashes was that that you got your name on? Of? which On of the Coil of a
1: Man's hash. Okay.
0: Where did you go next after six years?
1: Well, after six years, I then went to my house in Devon in the UK, and I joined the Ashburton hash. Uh, and Ashburton is a strange hash because nobody on the Ashburton hash had ever hashed before. They started to hash based on what they'd read about the hash.
0: Wow. Huh. How different was it from... Well, they didn't
1: have very many traditions. They would only do a down-down... If they thought somebody needed one, but that would be normally because they were leaving or something like that or got married. But they wouldn't do it every week. Down Downs a kind of a rare occasion and always in the pub, never in a circle. So they never had circles because obviously whatever they read didn't include circles. <laughs> and they were basically fell runners. And thank God I was young because they went out for runs which were never less than 10 miles one or two of them were half marathons.
0: This is quite different. What were the trails marked with in Borneo? How did they mark trails?
1: Oh, we marked them in toilet paper. Okay. One of the problems is because we were in a quite a limited area of jungle, and all our runs were normally down this one road, so you, the run would be from mile 11 and a half or mile 21 we had to distinguish in the jungle between new and old paper mm-hmm. so we tend to use pink paper which then faded to white with time
0: uh-huh and then yeah the, so the recent trail was there in pink Ah, that's very cool
1: you know between actually wrecking the trail and it normally took about three weeks to lay a trail working at the weekends with a machete what would happen would be there could be a lot of rain between starting and finishing laying a trail so the the paper was normally wet when you got to it um, so that's why the fading was the only way of telling new trail from old.
0: how many people would lay a trail together how many people were hairs of a tra- single trail Usually.
1: Normally we do it in pairs. Pairs was kind of best, although if there was no hair, you'd often be on your own. But mm-hmm. there used to be a book, and you used to sign up to be a hair. And, you know, if you started running with us today, you would have been set, somebody would have say, what about February? Can you lay a hash in February? So we had an awful lot of interest in laying hashes. That was really easy for the hair raiser.
0: Mm-hmm. And who took care of the beer? A different department? Oh, no, we had a
1: great arrangement for the beer because we were linked, I think because of the people who started the hash way back, which was the army, we were linked to the Gurkha Battalion. And the Gurkhas were basically mandated coming out to each run with a Land Rover, On on the back of the Land Rover would be a bucket or two of ice cold beer. Wow, nice.
0: Anything else? I mean, this is a really interesting... Place Early there, you had to deal with the jungle and had those traditions. What about T-shirts? Were there T-shirts made by any of the Oh, yeah, we had
1: so many T-shirts, and my room is full of them. We had T-shirts for everything. And we had it initially, whilst the Shell Oil Company didn't have a policy, later they brought in a policy that we don't want to see our staff wearing T-shirts sponsored by our contractors. Ah. This was the idea that contractors were supposed to bribe you by sponsoring events. But (laughs) when I first went out there, we had plenty of t-shirts by. Some of them really awful. You just put them straight in the bin because they used their company t-shirt and then just put hash on the front. (laughs) But we had plenty of T-shirts out there. I used to design some of the T-shirts myself. That's one of the things I've been doing for Hashes. Uh, not very good ones, but better than the ones that some of the other people came up with. We had plenty of T-shirts. We had plenty of beer. In a way, what else do you need? We had great restaurants, of course, although plenty of on-ons in Chinese restaurants or basically holes in the wall, as we used to call them, stalls and things like that. Food was very cheap. We had no drinking and driving laws, which was wonderful because being a Muslim country they didn't recognize drinking therefore there was no law against drinking and driving
0: how did the subscriptions or run fees work then?
1: oh I, I, I as I can't remember but I'm sure what happened is a hash cash came around every every evening and collected money and then collected money for the food or maybe they're wrapped in together. But it was That's done on it. You didn't have subscriptions for a quarter or anything else like that.
0: Right. Do you remember any of the inspirations for the shirts that you designed, any of the early ones? Well,
1: I would design them at the drop of a hat. I designed them for, for special events that I went on. I used to go and get 10 T-shirts made or whatever and go to a special event and hand them out to people. Uh, or I used to design them for the club. I mean, They weren't particularly marvellous, but they were, as I say, better than the ones that We were just hash printed on the back of Spooky (laughs) Long Company's drilling drilling company T-shirt. It was very good. I mean, I knew no other – there were other hashes around I went to, and at that time we were fairly far ahead of the rest in a lot of ways uh, in the quality of runs and all of this kind of thing uh, and what we were actually prepared to do. The on-ons, yeah.
0: So in those first six years when you're hashing in Borneo, did you travel to other – Countries for hashing. Oh, yes. Where'd you go?
1: The first sort of big event I went on, because there were lots of local events like uh, Kota Kinabalu. What was it? What one were they up to? 200 runs or something. Mm-hmm. And then there was Labuan, which is an island. They had a hash. So I went to their 200th run celebration. Miri was just round the corner. We used to go to them occasionally. We used to go to the runs in the region. Of course, there was also... Two hashes up in Seri Bagan, and the trouble with the Brunei hash is it had this famous waiting list. The waiting list, and people used to, you used to meet people socially uh, where I was in Kuala Balight who used to say, well, I'm on the waiting list for the hash. <laughs> and we used to say, well, why don't you start another bloody hash? Oh. oh, no, I'm on the waiting list and then when we start when another the hetero hash started up in Banda uh, we said look you're gonna there's plenty you can come hash with us on now on Fridays and then of course the waiting list disappeared and you found out they weren't interested yeah so the hash was one of those things that you got met off the plane and they said what do you do do you hash so hashing was uh, a very big part of life out there you ask me where did I go to? I went to uh, Nepal in 83 on the the highest hash expedition. My first interhash in 84 in Sydney. I did the Great Barrier Reef hash in 85. I did the Pan Pacific hash in Vanuatu. I don't know when that was, something like 85. Plenty of, and of course, the other interhashes like Vittaya. Staying
0: in those first part of the 1980s and first the middle of that decade, what was it like seeing other hashes? How similar and how different were the traditions and things the other hashes were doing in all these places you traveled
1: it was just nice meeting other hashes that's the main thing you enjoyed their different traditions they're all basically off the same script Mm -hmm. but a lot of them had slightly different traditions such as some would have a hash shit, which was actually something you wore we tend to take offer people a hash shit which was be covered in muddy ice water but everybody had their own way of punishment if you like and mm-hmm. celebration i think the one thing i remember take away from the 84 interhash was first of all it was a small event i think there were only 1700 um hashes there in those days it was a big event but 1700 was how many we had the great thing there was the australian Ironman competition mm-hmm where we ran up, well I didn't actually, because I got a wind of what we were going to have to do, so I watched whilst the competitors actually chundered all over the place, because what they had to do is drink a beer, go down to the far end of a field, and then take what was in a plastic cup, and then go back down, chunder another beer, then go back up, have an- another cup of whatever, and back. And what was in the cups, there was, it started off being quite tame. There was flour. There was uh, raw egg. But then it got more challenging with this kangaroo testicles. <laughs> And then we had frozen pies. So after that and enough beer, I think there were only a few people who competed this. There were only about 20 who took part in the first place. So it was very entertaining. Hats off to those who actually survived the thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Flaky. I think he did an Iron Man, but at, not at that event, but out in Hammersley. They were they did it for an Oh, yeah. That, well,
1: that would be an Australian thing. Um, yeah. I haven't seen it uh, at other hash events.
0: Well... Do you remember any of the other people that made an impression, memorable people you met in those early days from other hashes that you maybe only met a couple times?
1: I mean, certainly I remember, God, up in Pattaya, myself and the PJ Animals. There were a couple of guys there, Caveman and The Bear. I believe one, if not both of them, passed away now, but they were completely off. (laughs) Off the- <laughs> Ashes. And, I mean, we got into pissing competitions, literally in bars with them. What I'd be doing, I'd be chatting to them and leaning against the bar. And next minute, there'd be a warm, wet feeling down my leg. <sighs> and so then, of course, what can you do? You could actually, only thing you could do is fight back. Uh, We were normally evicted from bars in Pattaya. That meant we scored quite highly because that was a place for R&R of U.S. servicemen, so uh, they were used to a certain level of decorum.
0: Yeah. Well, talk about the PJ Animalis. That's a long-established kind of neat hash.
1: Yeah, I never ran with them, um, actually, in Pattiling Jaya. But I met them on lots of occasions, and I was always looking out for them because I didn't want to have to to clean up after them. They were just outrageous, and they, you know, we had a lot of good fun because whilst I would, might not be the instigator of some of these bawdy situations, I certainly went along with it in those days and uh, enjoyed them.
0: I think the founder of that
1: was Alan Chibai. Oh yes, and yeah. Chibai Yeah, just died, didn't he?
0: Yeah, he he died since the last inner hash. In this yeah, because last I'm
1: thing. on the I'm on the heritage committee with him. How do you remember Chibai? I don't. Well, I've only met him at the, the uh, heritage committee meetings, but oh. I never hashed with him. I may have hashed with him, but my contact up there in KL was John Duncan.
0: Mm. Well, tell us about John Duncan.
1: Uh, John was a great guy. He used to do the hash directory, and very soon after starting hashing, I realized that the hash's big problem was we couldn't find each other. Right. Except if we met somebody who was wearing a hash T-shirt, and there was no internet or anything like that, and the hash directory was produced by John Duncan, and it was the mother hash's job to produce the hash directory. Mm -hmm. And then when we had events like Interhash in... 84 in Sydney, there was a guy called Jeff Pearl, who was on the committee of the Sydney Interhash, and he produced a directory. But the problem with the directory is it only had one telephone number for every hash. Right. And that was the on sec. So if the on sec was out of town, you weren't going to hash. And then, of course, a lot of the locations, Personnel would change a lot. So, you know, you'd speak to somebody who was a contractor for some company there. And then two years later, he wasn't there any longer. But nobody reproduced the hash directory. There were others who said, well, you just go to the Australian embassy or the British embassy and ask them. But that's easier said than done because there's not an embassy in all the places there's a hash. All right. So, uh, after that, I decided, with John's permission, because I didn't want to upset the mother hash, that I would produce a directory. Wow. So I...
0: Where and when were you that you s- produced your first directory?
1: I produced the first hash directory in uh, 1986. And
0: where were you then? Were you still in... I was
1: still in Brunei, and the editor of the Borneo Bulletin, Lindsay Teddy Bear Brinson, actually... He agreed to print it for me in the presses of the Borneo Bulletin. <laughs> but the biggest problem with producing a directory was that I'm in Brunei and who the hell fuck has heard of Brunei? Very few people was to get actually the directory out of Brunei. Yeah. And the first place I actually bought the directory in eighty six was the Pattaya Interhash. Mm-hmm where I read the customs requirements for Thailand, and it said you could bring in conference literature duty-free. Right. So I bought, I forget, 1,500 copies of the hash directory to the interhash in Pattaya, using the whole of the Brunei hash to carry (laughs) this as luggage. We did a deal because they had a hash act involving large fallacies, and I agreed to carry some large fallacies if they agreed to have as hand luggage some copies of the hash directory. (laughs)
0: That's great.
1: They left me actually sitting in Bangkok airport with all these things on a trolley and said, good luck to you. So I managed to get them through and then I got them all the way down to Pattaya. God, we had all these tuk-tuk rides all around Bangkok with all this paperwork. I mean, there was a lot of paperwork, Mm 1,500. This directory was was something like 128 pages long. So it was a small booklet.
0: How many clubs do you think were listed then in 1986?
1: I haven't a clue, is the answer. To be honest, I would say 500. Yeah,
0: (laughs) just ballpark. And does that still exist anywhere, copies of those?
1: I've got copies of it. Some of them went AWOL when I was moving around the world, but I've got copies here and I mean to scan it. It was a very different hash directory to one that John Duncan produced because for every hash I allowed people to give me as many contacts as they could think of. So if they wanted to give me 20 contacts and telephone numbers, I'd produce them all. Right. Then I had maps so that every hash was actually mapped in a section at the back onto a map of the world, which I thought was handy since a lot of the hashes had names that weren't related to places. Right. Do you and have you a copy there? I, I could get a copy. I'm just curious if Kuwait hash was in there. If you want to wait two minutes, I'll get a copy. Yeah. Okay. Right, I have a copy of the 87 version of it. Okay, um, so 19... this I've got Kuwait hash on page 53.
0: Oh, cool. And who do you have, the founder and the date? Do well, you what have do I other?
1: have? I, I, it's care of Christopher Huron of British Embassy, Kuwait. Yeah. Yeah. Grandmaster was Peter Robertson. Joint Mistress, Jan Bristow, yeah. Onsec, Anna the Greek, Safondi, Fond, Kathy, Cathy the Cash Mould, a very original hash name, Chief Executive, Tony the R.A. Gerard, Deputy Religious Advisor, Jeanette Brennan, and you ru- run on Saturday at 19.30 in the winter and 19.45 in the summer, which I cannot understand why we bother about 15 minutes, but still there we are. Yeah. And the cost was dollar.
0: Dinar, yeah.
1: Dinar and numbers. the know about eighty-five on a run. Founded in twenty-first July, nineteen eighty-four, by Peter and Jan Robertson.
0: Yeah, that's I knew them, and that's I wanted to date because I got there a week later, but I didn't find them for five months.
1: Well, you you should have had my directory.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that that directory was in Kuwait in nineteen
1: eighty-four. Fortunately, it wasn't written in 1984. Yeah. And and you were also in Cairo. Yeah, after that, yeah. Well, I've got them as well, so uh, what was ever happening in Egypt? Cairo got a lot bigger, but it was gone. there are two hashes, but one of which I don't really have much information. They wouldn't answer my, my letter, but I got the Delta hash. Yep,
0: we hashed a lot together. They were just a couple hours away. Yeah.
1: The internet has has actually replaced this. Sure. The nice thing about this book was I designed it for people who traveled, but also for people who didn't travel. So half the magazine is excerpts from hash trashes from around the world and write-ups of big events. Wow.
0: Okay, so you did that. How many issues of that directory did you make?
1: I did two. To be honest, the first one broke even, the second one didn't, because it wasn't in the year of an interhash, so I had trouble distributing it. Then I met my wife, and at that point, this thing took an awful lot of time to produce. Computers were in their infancy at that time, and I had to hand-proof the whole thing and glue together the galley proofs. So you can imagine getting a load of print, newsprint and scissors and cutting it out and pasting it up. So it was a lot of work to produce it. This one I got here is 160 pages. It wasn't a small document at all. So I was very ambitious, and my idea was that a company like Foster's would take it on and it would be called the Foster's Hash Directory. But that didn't happen? No, because I couldn't get in touch with Foster's. In those days you were writing letters and Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody in Foster's who would read my letter. I sent them a letter, but I'm sure they looked at it and said, "What? this is wacky, throw it in the bin.
0: Okay, so you produced that for Patia InnerHash, and you produced another one. Do you know how it turned into Tim Magic Use, seemed uh, to well, be the takeover?
1: Yeah, well, that wasn't a takeover, because Tim was doing a hash directory, and I... I knew he was doing a hash directory. So I sent to Tim a letter and said, Tim, I'm thinking you're doing a hash directory. How's yours going? There's stupid two of us doing a hash directory. So Tim didn't reply. So what happened was I took all this stuff to Pattier. He had hoped to get his hash directory printed by the time of Pattier Interhash. Mm-hmm. And he'd failed. So it didn't help the relationship between me and Magic uh, <laughs> because he was so pissed off. And of course the other thing, I was selling this thing, I forget how much, for something fairly low, trying to cover my cost. And I eventually ended up, I had 1500 copies of it over in Patipati, I eventually just gave it to every hasher I saw at the end of the interhash. So I got rid of 1500 copies, Right. and I think he was a bit concerned in case I wanted to continue doing this. To be honest, I was only continuing to do it while there was nothing better. Right, and if somebody had told me the internet had been invented, I wouldn't have bothered doing it at all. This was all you had before the internet.
0: So Magic had your information, and then he was able to complete... No,
1: no, he had his own. He was doing it himself. Right. I wrote to every hash in the world from Brunei. I think he was doing something similar from Bangkok.
0: But he got a copy of yours at the interhash, so... Maybe... Oh, he
1: would, have, he would have got a copy of mine at the interhash, yes, and I mean, yeah. I got the impression from him that he was a little bit pissed off, because I'd stolen some of the thunder on the other hand i think tim was it was whatever job he had for was he working with ford or something like that he had he certainly had more time and more ability to actually do produce a hash magazine in bangkok because he was right in the middle of things Things were certainly cheaper in Bangkok and easier to do, and it was a center for hashes, lots of hashes went through Bangkok. So, very different to Brunei, mm-hmm. where we and, had very few visitors.
0: And you got a copy of Magic's directory at the next interhash, then?
1: I got it somewhere along the line, yes. I, uh. I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in the house.
0: Wow, that's a very good story on the origins of hash publishing. I don't think a lot of people know all that. I certainly didn't. Wow, okay. Let me just take a step back because we've just gone through a lot of cool stuff. I'd like to talk a lot about what happened in the, the next 35 years you're hashing, but also go back and talk all about hash heritage, mother hash, and all that. When you moved back to the UK and you found a very different hash, as you described, what did you say, Okay, I'm going to get involved in this hash? Oh,
1: no, it took no time. As soon as I found out about it, I went to to one of the runs and... In the next about a year and a half, I, I hashed every week with them. They were a very hardy bunch. Uh, as I say, they were fell runners. When I started with them in 1988, in June, I said to them, what happens in the winter? You know, you're hashing Tuesdays at 7, 7.30 or whatever, 6.30 or whatever time. And I said, what, what do you do in the winter? They said, we don't change our, change at all. Mm. So, I got an introduction to Hashing in the Dark, Yeah, which was, as I say, if you're running 10 miles in the dark over Dartmoor, following a trail, it better be a good trail, otherwise you'll, you know, you'll not be back for breakfast.
0: <laughs> uh, what was their trail markings?
1: I can't remember, to be honest, but it must be Flower.
0: Uh, where after
1: that? After that, I my wife was Irish, and it was not part of the contract. But she then said she wasn't going to live in England, so she then said they we're going to live in Ireland. So I then moved to Dublin, and I joined the Dublin Hash there. And that was in nineteen what? Nineteen ninety.
0: Nineteen ninety, and you've been there since for the last thirty
1: years. Yeah. And, you know, as I say, I thought I'd hashed, was a long time in a hash when I'd been there for six years, but 30 years, God, that's a long time. And
0: how long did it take you to move into mismanagement of Dublin?
1: Well, when I arrived, it didn't have a hash horn, so I turned up the first round with a hash horn, so I was immediately a hash horn. <laughs> I have my own hash horn which I used to blow at all runs. I used to take it round the world with me and blow it, blow it on every trail I ran on and circles and make a general nuisance of myself.
0: Did you take on other mismanagement roles there in Dublin over the years?
1: Yes, well we were just about to come to an Agpoo next Saturday. Basically, I I think I've been in every position on the Dublin hash as well over the years. But we've become a smaller bunch now. And really, anybody who's interested in mismanagement can be in mismanagement. Nobody's stopping you. And it's one of the strange things about the hash. We always pride ourselves on being a disorganized bunch. Right. But actually, it takes a lot of organization to be disorganized. Sure. Sure that's right. A lot of people don't appreciate that and I'm the kind of nerd behind the hash if you like in the sense that I'm into organizing events and things like that. I'm not a GM. I don't like being religious advisor or anything particularly I will do it if pushed, but they're better people to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm a kind of guy who organizes events and does t-shirts and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, well, you're the kind of guy that people, of course, many people have done this. Will say you need people on the team who do all the work and get usually get a little, just a little bit of the credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and aren't worried about that. No. when you arrived in
0: Dublin, where was the closest hash to you then besides Dublin?
1: Well, the only hash in Ireland at that time was the Athlone hash. But the Athlone hash has now been dead for 20-something years. The trouble with the Athlone hash is that the countryside there is bog. Mm -hmm. And these guys used to love running through bog. To, To me, it's quite monotonous and filthy and everything else like that. And whenever we went to run in Athlone... We were absolutely knackered. <laughs> it's very difficult to run through bog. Yeah. And the Athlone hash had a kind of, diff- again, a different view on hashing. They didn't like down-downs and things like that. When they came to visit us, they complained about the way they were treated, which, uh, quite honestly, was the same as we treat anybody. But it was a family hash, and I think they weren't used to a hash that wasn't a family hash.
0: Mm-hmm. Dublin was co-ed, though,
1: women also. No, co- yes, Dublin was co-ed. When I joined, there were 50 on every run, so uh, it was quite a good hash. But we've had a number of break-ups and schisms and other things like that. And now we're running at a, a good day would be 20.
0: Mm -hmm. And was that the heyday over these 30 years, was those early years kind of the biggest of it, or did it swell larger over time at some point?
1: We had a split with two sections over another AGPU, where somebody thought that they'd be elected, and they didn't get elected. After that, they said, we're not coming. And then they and their friends decided that would be the end of the hash them so we just halved our numbers overnight that was a pity there wasn't any coming back from that sure and i think they'd all started families so then they had the kids and things like that and we used to run on sundays and sundays then became family day and not hashing day
0: right well is your wife a hasher
1: she is an anti-hasher well she was an anti-hasher she met me at a hash and we'd just been running through a swamp and she turned up in a blue cocktail dress. Oh my God. Because she was told that the on-on was a kind of party. (laughs) And she dressed for a party and then was quite, quite surprised and I think uh, upset that we all spent the whole of the rest of the evening with beers in our hands, covered in shit, (laughs) making no effort to dress up at all. Then she met me, and she thought I was a rude, arrogant, bloody Brit with no knowledge of the Irish, etc., 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 and vowed that she'd never meet me again.
0: We have to take a break there. So that is part one with Polly from Dublin, Ireland. We'll be back with Polly for part two of the interview. This is the On On Podcast. Hasher voices, hasher stories, hasher history. New episodes every week. Until next time, On On, this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash.
1: Swing low, sweet child.